0: Today on the podcast, we're going to continue to focus on what it means to be a United Methodist in the Bible Belt. Today, we're especially going to talk about three vital parts of life within United Methodism, and I bet we'll even help you understand why United Methodists love potluck suppers.
1: We might even talk a little about dun, 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 bibliolatry. Welcome to Table Talk with Mike and Angela.
0: Welcome to Table Talk with Mike and Angela, a weekly conversation focused on helping you understand more about the Bible, faith, and what it means to live a faithful life. And now, here are your hosts, Pastors Mike Holly and Angela Martin. Well, we are glad that you are with us today, and we have a lot of ground to cover as we continue to focus on the book Being United Methodist in the Bible Belt. By Belton Joyner Jr. We're going to continue today with several important topics.
1: Yeah, we're going to be talking about United Methodist polity, uh, about how United Methodists relate to Scripture, and then finally, how our Wesleyan heritage has given us four guides toward faith and understanding.
0: Okay, you threw out the word polity there. I know I remember that from seminary.
1: (laughs) Yeah, from all of our classes in United Methodist Studies. Polity is the organization of and the governing of the church. As United Methodists, we have a very clear set of rules and standards for how United Methodists structure our churches and our annual conferences.
0: And we get all of those rules and structures from the Book of Discipline, the you know rule book of the church, how we structure ourselves, how we decide things, where people serve on committees. All of that is in that rule book.
1: Yes, it is. And the Book of Discipline comes from the General Conference that writes, edits, and sometimes even strikes out language in the Book of Discipline. Uh, the General Conference meets every four years, and it is the gathering of United Methodist Christians from around the globe.
0: So these are, you know, elected representatives, equally pastors and church members. And they gather together from around the world every four years to make sure that our polity, our systems and structures and rules are still faithful and that they allow us to do the ministry that we have called uh, we've been called to together. It just goes to show how much United Methodists take two things very seriously. First, we take community very seriously. And second, we don't trust a person or even a small group of people to run everything. We have a, a very dr- uh, democratic structure, meaning that you know the people in leadership within the church are always uh, you know, approved or elected by a larger group in taking that role. So first, I guess, we need to discuss the first of those important things, community.
1: Yeah, it is very important. Uh, We know that God gives the gift of faith ordinarily within community. God gives uh, the sustaining means of grace ordinarily within community. And God gives a setting for living out the faith within community. You and I, Methodists, understand the journey of Christian faith to be a corporate experience. In fact, Wesley once wrote, I shall endeavor to show that Christianity is essentially a social religion, and that to turn it into a solitary religion is indeed to destroy it. So United Methodist life is is filled with terms, and if you've been a Methodist for very long at all, you've heard some of these terms. Um, and, and they reflect this understanding that a relationship with Jesus Christ puts one into relationship with other believers. The early Methodist movement was called the Connection with an X. Uh, United Brethren and Evangelical Association, as well as Methodist, had small groups emerge for discipline and growth and searching. And they were called societies, bands, and class meetings. And in United Methodism, the word conference is used over and over again to describe the meetings at which United Methodists confer with one another. And so, in all that, you begin to realize that yes, my relationship with Jesus Christ is a personal relationship, but it is not private.
0: That's a great reminder, Angela. My relationship with Jesus Christ is a personal relationship, but it is not private, it is never private. So community and meaningful relationships are an essential part of Christianity, and it's an essential part of what it means to be United Methodist. Here in the Bible Belt, we see the importance of community in the church. Small groups like Sunday school classes care for one another and take meals to one another when there's an illness or a death in the family. Other than during a global pandemic, we're always trying to figure out how to gather together around food from fried chicken and potato salad and some of the best desserts you'll ever, ever taste at a potluck to, you know, throwing a barbecue and a bake sale to do fundraising for some important ministry. We're always trying to figure out how to gather around a meal, just like Jesus and his disciples seem to often gather around with other people and dine and eat and uh, allow that to be a sacred moment. Um, you know, we are grouped together uh, in, these, in these small groups, in these Sunday school classes, in these you know, organizational groups for mutual blessing, uh, for education, and for encouragement.
1: Yeah, in the Bible Belt, we do know how to form meaningful communities of faith and love. But there can be uh, a dark side. Fundamentalism can be one of the more limiting expressions of the Bible Belt. Uh, And the five fundamentals of fundamentalism are, uh, one, the verbal inerrancy of the Scripture, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later, Uh, the divinity of Jesus Christ, the virgin birth, a substitutionary theory of the atonement, which we talked about last week in our podcast. So if you want a little bit of an explanation or definition of that, you can go back and and listen to week one. Uh, And then the last one is physical resurrection and bodily return of Christ. Some expressions of fundamentalism place the emphasis on individual decisions without regard to the social nature of the faith event. United Methodists are likely to see such individualism as a violation of how God has revealed God's very self to us, which is the Trinity. God exists as one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And these three persons exist in one community, the unity of the Godhead. And so if God lives as community, and we are created in God's image, then we are intended to live in community. God's people model that community, and as Christians, we call that community church. Uh, The Confession of Faith of the Evangelical United Brethren Church, which of course is one of the denominations that helped form the United Methodist Church, has this to say about church— We believe the Christian church is the community of all true believers under the lordship of Christ. We believe it is one, holy, apostolic, and Catholic, with a little c. It is the redemptive fellowship in which the word of God is preached by persons divinely called, and the sacraments are duly administered according to Christ's own appointment. Under the discipline of the Holy Spirit, the church exists for the maintenance of worship, the edification of believers, and the redemption of the world. And so, you know, that's four sentences, but it is so rich in meaning if you begin to uh, look and unpack each one of those words and phrases. Uh, But on the whole, it shows that we are a community, uh, and we offer this universal invitation to be part of the church, uh, to have the opportunity to worship, have the opportunity to learn and to, to grow and strengthen our faith, all for the purpose of the redemption of the world, which is God's purpose. Um, and we know, you know, the church is not perfect and it often falls short of portraying the image to which God calls God's people. But even so, United Methodists believe it is the best way we have of expressing God's intent for us in the world. And so we maintain that God's intent and ultimate will is, as Paul said, a building from God, a house not made with hands.
0: So, and Paul said elsewhere, Uh, we have this treasure in clay jars so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. God ordinarily has chosen to give that extraordinary power through community, and that's why United Methodists stick with the church. Mm -hmm. We need one another. Um, We are not perfect. We will sometimes fail one another, but we know that if we are to be, as God intended, the body of Christ, we've got to be together. We got to stick together. We have to find ways to overcome any differences. We have to find ways to work things out through prayer, through reading of scripture. And, you know, we'll go to some other guides at the end of uh, today's podcast, but we've got to find ways in which to stick together as the family of God. But we also need to stick to another uh, important anchor of faith that we have discussed kind of along the way, the Bible, Holy Scripture. John Wesley, the key figure in the movement of Methodism in England in the 1700s, once wrote, I want to know one thing, the way to heaven, how to land safe on that happy shore. God himself has condescended to teach the way for this very end he came from heaven He hath written it down in a book. Oh, give me that book. At any price, give me the book of God. I have it. Here is knowledge enough for me. Let me be a man of one book.
1: Yeah, I I love that quote. Let me be a man of one book, or a woman of one book.
0: Of course.
1: Uh, (laughs) uh, Philip Otterbein, who was a key figure in the founding of the United Brethren root of United Methodism, once led his congregation in Baltimore to proclaim, we believe that the Bible is the word of God, that it contains the true way to our salvation as the only rule and guide. So United Methodists believe that the primary authority for the Christian journey and for Christian thought and for Christian action is Holy Scripture. It it contains everything one needs to know in order to be saved. And for United Methodist, that is why God has revealed God's purposes in the Bible. United Methodists are willing to be rigorous in biblical scholarship. Uh, We believe that there is truth, the truth found in Scripture, and there's no reason to fear that truth. Uh, It comes from God. Therefore, Even though there are many angles and numerous styles within the scripture, there is unity in the biblical message. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. And the one revelation is of a God who created and called it very good, who loves and seeks to save humankind and the rest of the created order.
0: And, and as you look at everything that uh, we understand about the Bible, you know it's it's clear that it is written in such wonderfully poetic, um, historical, and even metaphorical ways. And and you see that reading Scripture is not just as simple as looking at the words in black and white on the page. Even though John Wesley himself advocated for a, a very uh, you know plain reading of Scripture not meaning that it's not complicated. He just didn't want us to get sort of bogged down in all the uh, theological ifs, ands, or buts. He wanted us to really think about it in terms of this is God's holy word speaking into our lives. What is it saying for us? What do we need to do uh, from it? But I don't think he would ever undercut the importance of knowing the context of scripture and knowing a lot about how the Bible was written together. Think about how Jesus himself even you know, he shows us the art form of interpreting Scripture as he, you know, says things like, you know, you have heard it said, do not murder, but I tell you. And mm-hmm. then he goes on to sort of, you know, go from black and white reading of, of Scripture into sort of understanding the intent of Scripture and understanding that there are layers uh, of understanding where, what it means for us. You know, there are a lot of times when, you know, we we need to remember that John Wesley really said that we need to understand that Scripture is twice inspired by the Holy Spirit. Once inspired when it's written, and then the second time inspired when it's read. He wrote, Scripture can only be understood through the same Spirit whereby it was given In the United Methodist Church, not everybody agrees on every angle of Scripture and interpretation, you know, if it's infallible, if it was literally spoken to someone. You know, we have some of the most educated clergy, uh, along with other mainline denominations, because we require seminary education, and in that we find that we have um, clergy who who understand historical criticism and understand how uh, the Bible was written together by different authors with different perspectives. And I think it's important for us to understand that all that is vital in our study of Scripture. But ultimately, we have to remember that this Scripture was written to provide us with a way to God, to communicate us to us the heart of God. And uh, especially when we read about Jesus to communicate his kingdom, his lordship, what he did for us. And so while we need to know context, we always, always have to understand that there is a message being sent to us from Scripture. You know, when I think about sort of all the different ways you could go in terms of reading Scripture— in the Wesleyan tradition, we sort of find a way to balance the extremes. You know, we don't go too far one way or too far the other way. We're always, you know, this is a consistent theme within the United Methodist Church. We're always trying to find that via media, the, the middle way. We encourage people to understand that the same Holy Spirit who inspired the scriptures, scriptures is alive and well today and is allowing us to bring the written word alive in the 21st century, that it is ready and willing for us to sort of read it afresh and anew even today.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I love how Wesley encourages us uh, to read Scripture. I mean, he, he had this own way uh, of reading and studying Scripture that he passed on uh, to us. Uh, the first thing he does, he says, set aside time and place where such reading can occur without interruption. Now, sometimes that's hard, but, you know, depending on what season of life you're in, to uh, find that moment, but we all do the best we can, right? Uh, and then he says, accept the presence of God's Holy Spirit. You know, I love that, you know, it's kind of like the prayer of illumination that we do every Sunday morning in worship. You know, we, we invite the Holy Spirit to come in and and to help us read, you know, to help us see um, n- with new eyes what we are reading. And in fact, uh, that's the, the third thing that he says. He says, read with an openness to new places that God might lead. Uh, fourth, he says, pursue difficult passages by praying, by comparing other biblical text, by meditating on... Uh, possible meanings. I, I love that he tells us to question the text. You know, we don't, we don't have to have it all together and have all the answers. We can we can question what we think that means. Uh, he, he encourages us to connect with others in the community of believers and uh, to draw on the understandings of, of the other members in the community as well as ancient tradition. So when we study in this way the Bible itself becomes the balancing, clarifying, even correcting tool for understanding the scripture. Uh, God's gifts in scripture are so rich that they really are the gifts that keep on giving. You know, every time we read a passage of scripture, it, it may be the 5th or the 10th or the 15th time we we read it, but uh, it still has the possibility to inspire us to bring new light and new life to us every time we read it. And because of that, uh, it becomes a compass that guides our, our way, our, our whole life long.
0: And it just comes back to, to how important John Wesley believed uh, as he as he uh, led this movement of renewal and revival within the Church of England, this, this Methodist revival became grounded in two important things. The first, of course, as we've talked about, to be a man, a woman, a people of one book, and also to understand that we're a people. You know, we, we are a community, and we, we have got to be together as we go forward in this life together. Bible and community. Uh, just essential. But we all know, just like you said, that there are times in which we need more than just those two things. We need other guides. And that brings us to the third section of our podcast today, another essential part of the United Methodist Church, the United Methodist way of life. And that is to understand that while scripture is primary, while scripture is vital, there are other things that we have at our fingertips, these other guides that are God-given as well. You know, we just really need to understand that the Bible is a gift from God to us all that serves as a compass for us. Yes, it guides us to Christ. It guides us to his kingdom. Yes. And the United Methodist Church does, as I mentioned, focus on the Bible as the most important guide. But John Wesley, as you mentioned, reminds us that we've got to really Think through our reading of Scripture. Use our brains. You know, I love the the saying, "United Methodists don't check our brains at the door when right. we come into the sanctuary." Yeah. You know, we have these three other guides, and this these guides are often referred to as the Wesleyan Quadrilateral. Unlike a lot of what we discussed at this point, uh, John Wesley didn't originate that term.
1: Correct. Um, well, you know, we all have traditions. Um, one of the traditions that exist is that you stand when the Hallelujah Chorus is sung. Uh, and then that occurred when, uh, at one of its earliest performances, the King stood, and so everyone else stood uh, in honor and respect of the King, and so now we stand when the Hallelujah Chorus is sung. Uh, And and we have one here in the United States. Um, You know, we all stand during that seventh inning stretch in baseball. Uh, And that was kind of an accidental tradition that began when President Taft um, attended a ball game. And he stood to leave in the seventh inning. And again, everyone stood out of honor and respect. (laughs) So now... We continue the tradition. We all we all stand and have that seventh inning stretch when we're at a baseball game. And so I say all that just to say that uh, the Methodist Church has its own tradition. And that is, as you said, the quadrilateral, which means four sides. Uh, and as you also said, it's often called the Wesleyan quadrilateral, although, Wesley would not have known the term any more than he would have known anything about Twitter or hashtags, you know, hashtag quadrilateral party of four. Um, It's been part of United Methodist vocabulary since 1972, when the Book of Discipline adopted that year made the assertion that contemporary doctrinal reflection and construction in the United Methodist Church should be guided by four. Interdependent sources are guidelines, scripture, tradition, experience, and reason. And while other Christian traditions might choose to emphasize one or another of these guidelines, the Wesleyan tradition, as we've already kind of talked about, we seek to blend and balance all four of these resources. And,
0: and you know this is these are uh, resources that we've been using all along it just became as you mentioned part of our vocabulary in 1972 as these you know united methodist scholars uh, sort of sort of hacked into john wesley's own diaries and understood what his right. notes were about and yeah. as they sort of uh, recovered a lot of his witness and allowed it to become part of the training of the church and training of pastors and clergy all of this sort of you know, came clear to us that this is sort of an undercurrent within the Methodist church and an undercurrent in Wesley's own understanding of faith and how we understand life and the world. Uh, you know, he is even quoted as saying, you see, you know, you feel. God is all in all. He understood that that we needed to engage with community, engage with God, engage with scripture throughout all these different areas, scripture, tradition, experience, and reason. Uh, in the quadrilateral, scripture is the base. Um, it is it is the vital, most important part, and all the others work with and sometimes even help us understand its importance. Um, but, you know, that is a part of what we understand, the conviction that scripture is the primary source and criterion for Christian doctrine. No matter what we learn from experience, no matter what we appreciate in tradition, no matter what we gain from reason, if faith and practice are not faithful to the scripture, they are faulty. Uh, They're misguided. But using each one of these guidelines gives us a fuller understanding of scripture. It it, it protects us from, and I'm going to have to work on this word, (laughs) bibliolatry?
1: Good. All yeah, right. you got it. Not
0: not bibliolatry. <laughs> uh, bib, biblio- <laughs> I can't even do it now. <laughs> bibliolatry. I can't do it. Well, it's close enough. Bibli, bi, like the Bible, idolatry, bibliolatry. The Bible is the final authority um, and, and persons in the Wesleyan pattern of study will use reason, tradition, and experiences as the lenses through which they look at the scripture. In and in opposed to that is bibliology, which is the kind of worship of the Bible instead of worshiping the God of the Bible. We, we don't have to worship scripture. In fact, that's one of the complaints we hear from some uh, mainline traditions is that, that there are other traditions that feel like they they sort of worship Scripture, um, and and we tend to honor Scripture as a way, a key, a compass to guide us, uh, of course, to God. And that is one reason why I think it's important for us to understand that the Bible is the final authority, but it's also God leading us to understand the authority, understand the message, understand all of what is trying to be spoken afresh and anew to us through those other guides, reason, tradition, and experience.
1: Yeah. So let's, let's look at those other three guides. Uh, let's consider reason or reasoning. You know, it, it's a way we organize information. It's the way we compare one idea with another. Sometimes it's common sense. Sometimes it is careful, critical thought, But reason, uh, in this sense, describes how God is at work and what God has created. And that kind of reasoning, combined with God's grace, becomes an instrument for clarity in faith, consistency in witness, and a freshness in our understanding. How about tradition? Tradition. Uh, Wesley gave the greatest value to the teaching and practice of the ancient church and to the Church of England of his time. Uh, Wesley read widely and deeply in the writings of the earliest Christian thinkers. Uh, when Christian belief moved out of the Jewish tradition, you know it didn't abandon all the power of Jewish heritage. When the Protestant Reformation led some of the church apart from Roman Catholicism, It it did not mean that there was no longer any meaning in the faithful teachings of Roman Catholic scholars and and so on. Uh, When Methodism began to have a life of its own apart from the Church of England, it didn't mean that all was to be forgotten about the Anglican faith. Uh, So we value tradition uh, of the early church fathers of the ancient uh, church. But it's different from traditionalism. Traditionalism is uh, being stuck in the past or, you know, that, that thing that we like to say, that's how we've always done it. Uh, tradition is gleaming wisdom from the past with a desire to apply it in the present. And I like the way that, that Joyner puts it. He says, listening to tradition is having a conversation with those who first climbed the mountain, asking them where the rocks might be and what the view is like. And so we gain wisdom from those who have gone before us. And then last but not least is experience. Uh, Experience is, is about seeing it for ourselves, personally and in community. Wesley believed that God's grace could be seen for real in the lives of people, in their experience. He kept meticulous diaries and journals of his own experience in the journey of grace. He kept one diary for 65 years. Can, oh you, <laughs> can you imagine being able to go back and read and just see the places where God moved in your life? You know. Uh, however, if experience is the only standard for truth— then truth becomes relative. Uh, It's not enough just to say, what must be God because it makes me feel good, right? Um, Experience, my experience, your experience, our experience in community, is a vital voice in the conversation with scripture, tradition, and reason.
0: You know, and I think that that speaks again to the importance of community. You know, as you were saying, Uh, Experience is vital. It's important, but we also have to understand that my experience is not always your experience. And so we learn from one another. We learn from one another as we uh, experience together, or sometimes we listen. We walk in somebody else's shoes and see from their own experience, and it can enlighten our understanding of Scripture. You know, one of the things uh, that I thought was just amazing when I was in Israel, we were uh, meeting with people who were translating Scripture. They had been brought in from different areas of the world where the Bible has not yet been completely translated into their native tongue. They might be bilingual, they might speak Spanish or French, but then they also spoke this language where, you know, Scripture had not really been put into words. And what they had found in helping these cultures, you know, um, put words of Scripture into their language is that sometimes the experiences of, you know, first century Palestine, the things that Jesus himself experienced, were not the same as these cultures. You couldn't just simply change it from one language to another. You had to sort of interpret it to their own experiences. And it made me, you know, think about how the Bible can be explained to a a more, you know, uh, Asian culture where bread is not life. You know, bread is not mm-hmm. the thing that is made every day, like in first century Palestine. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you translate the bread of life into a culture that doesn't use bread, but they use rice, mm-hmm. you know? And so this understanding of experience, you know, that the bread of life, the, the very, you know, must have food in your diet could be something different. So our experiences don't change the words of Scripture, but it helps us understand how they uh, are embodied in our life. Um, As you were talking about tradition and traditionalism, it made me think about the via media, the middle way again, because where I went to seminary, they have this brand new initiative over the past five years of something called traditioned innovation, meaning Hmm. that they're trying to innovate, but do so with tradition so that they're not trying to you know, innovate for the sake of innovating. They're trying to use the past to help inform mm-hmm. their decisions in the future, which yeah. I thought is pretty cool, but it's like that. completely Intention. Methodist. Yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> Traditioned innovation.
1: Yeah.
0: So um, as United Methodists, you know, we have been given uh, these gifts of how to order our lives as Christians together. We have community, we have scripture, and we have the other three guides along the Wesleyan quadrilateral. We have rules and structures so that United Methodist congregations around the world can faithfully, fairly, and consistently serve in ministry to one another and to the world around them. We also have Christian friends around us consistently and faithfully to encourage us and equip us and call out the God-given skills and talents that we have for ministry and mission. We can't do faith alone. It is not Um, it is not a private affair. It's personal, Mm. but it's not private. Mm -hmm. And then finally, we have the guides, scripture uh, chiefly, uh, but then also Scripture, uh, tradition, reason, and experience uh, to help us discern how to live in the Christian life and to discern what God is calling us to do. Uh, You know, we have these guides to prayerfully understand what God's will is for each and every one of us, as well as What is God's will for our community as a whole? The guides, the community, all of those work hand in hand to help uh, us to be capable of living out our faith in this world.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, everything that we have talked about today just makes me fall in love with the United Methodist Church all over again. I mean, I just uh, appreciate everything about it so much. Um, We thought that, uh, like we did at the end of our conversation last week, that maybe you would, again, like some ideas about how to uh, turn this conversation into action. Um, Perhaps in our conversation of polity and, you know, how the church is organized and so forth, maybe you felt some kind of calling uh, uh, to serve, Um, to be more involved in the church. And uh, if if you felt that, you know, please let Mike or I know, and and we'll get you plugged in to that. Uh, You may have this desire to serve, but you're not exactly sure where you need to serve. Uh, we have a strengths class that you know we haven't been able to offer it lately, but we will find a way. If you are interested in finding that out, so that you you know how you are wired and put together and in uh, the purpose that God placed in you uh, in serving His church, we will certainly do that. Um, or it may be that after our conversation today, you want to start a daily discipline. Of reading the Bible, you know, finding that quiet place, inviting the Holy Spirit in, and then reading Scripture. Uh, if you don't already get the Life Track devotional through email, you can go to our website and sign up for that. That you know, just comes to your device. It's easy, um, and that's a great way to read Scripture and to think about Scripture. Or, you know, it may be that you want to start keeping a journal so that like John Wesley. Over time, you can see how God is working in your life.
0: So 65 years from now, (laughs) you will see the fruit of all the things that God has done in your life.
1: I bet after one year, you could go back. (laughs) (laughs) I bet you don't have to wait 65.
0: That's right. That's right. Well, uh, thanks, Angela. And thank you, everybody, for uh, tuning in this week. Uh, We really hope that this uh, podcast about being United Methodist in the Bible Belt using Joiner's book is helpful to you as you discover the way that you are already kind of knit together as a Christian through this Wesleyan tradition. We hope you'll join us back next week as we continue to work through the book.